The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. We believe that the pursuit of joy does not lead us away from the places of pain. The pursuit of joy leads us along the way Jesus walked. To avoid the pain is to miss the way altogether. The way goes through the cross, but the cross is not the destination. In this sermon series, we invite you to rest your thought on and in Christ, who shows us the path beyond the cross that continues to eternal joy. We invite you to rest your mind on this happy thought. To refresh our minds, I'm going to read Philippians 4.8 for us this morning. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And today we're going to talk about pure thoughts. And to be completely honest, This was a struggle for me because thinking pure thoughts does not come naturally. I believe if we are all honest, we constantly feel like we're bombarded by everything around us, that we're distracted, and to have one pure thought for a lot of us would be a great moment of relief and relief. This is especially true when our world is pumping out information every five seconds telling us exactly how to think, how to act, and how to feel, and what we really need. I have fallen into so many traps because of that, which have caused me a great deal of pain and debt, whether it's credit card, financial debt, or in broken relationships. So I felt very unqualified this morning to preach on this topic. And so as I grabbed my Bible, and I started to look up verses And I was looking in my Strong's Concordance. My hope was to give a glossed overview of purity. But what I kept being drawn back to was biblical stories that most of us have heard that would give a great example about purity. And one such character that came to my mind was Joseph. And I'm going to summarize the story of Joseph because it spans about 13 chapters from Genesis 36 to Genesis 50. So let me tell you a story. A young man was out helping his brothers. The young man's name was Joseph. Joseph was his father's beloved because Joseph was his father's 11th child and was born when his father was in an incredibly old age. Because of the father's love for Joseph, the father made an ornamented robe for Joseph. And from an early age... Joseph began to receive dreams from God. These dreams involved Joseph rising up and the brothers and the rest of the family bowing down to him. This was unthinkable at the time because he was the 11th and not the firstborn son. How could the 11th son be raised to such a place or status? His brothers were appalled and even his father had rebuked him but kept these thoughts in mind. Joseph continued to have dreams. 
One day, Joseph was sent out to where his brothers were overseeing their father's flock. And upon the arrival, the brothers were increasingly angry by his presence. So they decided that they would plot to kill him. They believed that if they killed him, that the dreams that he would have would go away. So they were going to toss him in a cistern, destroy his clothing, dip it in blood, and tell his parents that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. The eldest brother Reuben said that instead of killing him, they should just toss him into one of the empty cisterns and leave him there. And cisterns, in case you didn't know, were reservoirs where they could collect rainwater for the crops that they were growing. And sometimes these big pits were empty and people would use them for prisons. And while they were making their plan, Reuben had left and the other ten brothers saw that a group of slave traders were coming on the route. So they decided they would get rid of their brother once and for all and sell him into slavery. They would then go back and tell Joseph's father, Jacob, that Joseph was attacked and killed. The slave traders took Joseph to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar was Pharaoh's officer. And Potiphar was so impressed by Joseph's intelligence and work ethic that he put him in charge of everything he oversaw. Joseph had become the head overseer of Potiphar's house. Potiphar trusted Joseph with all of his property. Isn't that an interesting place for a slave to find themselves? In charge of all of someone's property? Where the master didn't even ask you about those things? Joseph was considered well-built and handsome in appearance. Not only did the others notice, but Joseph had caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. Day after day, Potiphar's wife would pursue Joseph and ask him to sleep with her. Could you imagine being a slave, one of the lowest humans on the totem pole, and then have the most attractive woman in all the land offer to go to bed with you? By worldly standards, this is an incredibly crazy opportunity And I think most people that live in the world would say, why would a man pass that up? Almost like a locker room would be cheering you on. Look at the opportunity you have. And one day, Joseph went to Potiphar's home to attend to his duties, and there were no other servants present. And Potiphar's wife grabs him by the robe to seduce him and says, come to bed with me but he runs and leaves his clothes behind. This woman was giving herself up to Joseph with no strings attached. This could have been a secret between them, but Joseph flees. Later, Potiphar's wife tells some of the servants and Potiphar that Joseph had come in with intentions to rape her. Burning with anger, Potiphar throws Joseph in the prison that was located underneath his home. And this prison is where all of the prisoners of Egypt had went. And while Joseph was in prison, the Lord remains with him, and he shows Joseph great favor in the eyes of the warden of the prison. And before long, the Lord continues to be true to Joseph's dream and gave Joseph a position of authority in prison. While in prison, Joseph becomes well known for being able to interpret dreams. He interprets the dreams correctly for a chief and a cupbearer, or a chef and a cupbearer. In each instance, both dreams are determined to be true. And a little while later, 
the Pharaoh begins having dreams himself about his land in an oncoming famine. Dreams that he couldn't interpret and no one else could as well. And so the chef, remembering what Joseph had said, had told Pharaoh that there was a man that was in prison that could interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph to come and tell him the meaning of his dreams. And Joseph had told him that a famine was coming, that there were lands of plenty, there were years of plenty coming, followed by years of famine, and that they should be prepared for that. And because of that, Pharaoh trusted Joseph, and he elevated him to the second in command underneath him. So in um, position of authority, it would have been Pharaoh and then Joseph. And Joseph would have been overseeing everything. And not long after a famine strikes the land and Joseph's brothers come to Canaan to trade with Egypt for food and supplies that they needed. And they find themselves in Joseph's presence, but yet they don't realize that it's Joseph that is dealing with them. The brothers come to him and they come to buy food, the grains, and in their sack, as they are leaving, Joseph puts the money that they were going to pay the Egyptians. And as they go back to their father, they realize that the money is still with them. So their father, upset that they think that Joseph would potentially think they were dishonest men, sends them back to give him the money. And as they go back, Joseph devises a plan to get his father to Egypt so he could see him again. So he takes his brother and uses him as collateral. And the other brothers go back to their father, and their father has no choice but to come and see the man that they were dealing with. And as a result, Joseph finally reveals himself and throws mercy on his brothers. And when Joseph's father was dying, the brothers threw themselves at Joseph, believing that he was going to punish them. However, instead of giving them exactly what a lot of us would think that they deserved, he welcomes them in and vows to take care of them and their families. But the questions that I want you to think about this morning are what was more attractive in Joseph's thinking that he would turn down going to bed with Potiphar's wife and choose something different? The big question I want to ask you today is how do we have pure thoughts in a world that celebrates impurity? The big idea that I want you to walk away with today is that pure thoughts come from a heart that is set apart for for God. And as I was reading through the story of Joseph, there were a few things that I saw that really stood out as markers or highlights that give us a great illustration of where pure thinking comes from. And pure thinking comes from a heart that is set apart from God. Oftentimes, we tend to believe that purity is simply abstinence from something. But I am hoping today to show you that purity comes from a life that has been intentionally set apart for and on God. Here are a few solid examples. The first thing that I want you to notice today is that Joseph saw God. Remember the dreams that Joseph had? Upon further study... I found out that dreams were a specific mode of revelation in the Old Testament. 
We see a similar experience with Jacob in Genesis 28:12, when Jacob sees the heavens open up and angels are descending and ascending on a stairway. And when I researched this, I found that this was a way that God had revealed himself to Jacob and how he offered to be Jacob's God. So God was revealing himself to Joseph in dreams, and Joseph was trusting what God was showing him. Joseph had seen God, and his mind was fixed on God and what was being revealed. God reveals his plan for Joseph in two very identical ways. I want you to look with me at Genesis 37, 5 through 7. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to, his, to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. So what he was talking about was a place of power that he was going to rise up and that the brothers were going to bow to him. And then again, very similarly, in Genesis 37, 9, it says, then he had another dream, and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. The sun and the moon represent his father and mother, and the 11 stars represent his brothers. Could you just imagine being the person telling those around you, your brothers and your family members, that you had a revelation from God, that you heard from God and God told you that your siblings, your relatives are going to bow down to you? Could you imagine how it must have felt for them to hear that? And how would they trust it? And I was reminded of a verse in Matthew, Matthew 5, 8, where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Joseph was set apart for God. And because he dwelt and thought about the dreams and the things that God had revealed to him, and he made that what he thought about and what he longed for and what he waited for, this intimate relationship with God, he was able to hear from God clearly. And it was as if he saw him face to face. And God was there with him. Pure thoughts come from a heart that is set apart for God. Listen to this. Psalm 24, 3-4. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Joseph's resolve was to stay committed and focused to God. Joseph's heart had become a wellspring of life because he had an intimate relationship with God. That when he was having his dreams, he dwelt on the dreams and they built up in his heart, which increased his love for God, which, keep, which kept setting him apart for God. Two, the second thing I want you to notice is that Joseph knew that sin was always against God. 
I think that's really incredible because we say stuff like that all the time. Like, when you sin, you're sinning against God. But I don't think we realize every single moment of every minute of every day that when sin happens, it's always against God. It's always a wrong against God. And I want you to look at Joseph's response because Potiphar's wife had continued to pursue him. But I think we get a glimpse of his mind in Genesis 38, 7 through 9. And we see an incredible example of purity. Genesis 39, 6 through 9. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? This wasn't a momentary choice, because if you remember as we were telling this story, we talked about how day after day after day, Potiphar's wife was throwing herself at Joseph. And then we see here again that it's right before it gets physical, the moment where she grabs his robe and he runs. It wasn't a moment decision that he would flee. It was built up in him because his heart was set apart and on God that God was the ultimate center of his affection. Like he loved God more than anything. You could have tempted him with anything and he would have continued to stand firm for God because in his mind, it was made up because he trusted God and the words that God had told him and the things that God had shown him. I thought of an analogy as I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about people. He said, what is something you're very passionate about food wise? If I was to say, let's go get something to eat, what would you want to go eat? And uh, everybody knows I love chicken wings. So I said, chicken wings. And so he said, suppose I was to say to you, hey, let's go get sushi. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't really want to have sushi. Like, that doesn't even sound good to me. I would rather have chicken wings. And the friend said, no matter what I said to you, because of how much you are thinking about chicken wings, we aren't going to be able to sway you to want to eat something else. And that is what I'm thinking we're seeing from Joseph here, is that he is so enamored. He is so in love with God that it is totally taken up his thinking. And so when something comes to him that is not of God, he recognizes it. And he's going to reject it because his relationship with God is so much greater. And to be pure before God in his thinking and actions was important. Joseph immediately states the position he is in because of his master. And then he asks, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Why would Joseph 
care about what his master thought about him. This is a man that was sold into slavery and has to work for someone every single day that they probably don't want to work for. But Joseph knows to wrong Potiphar is to sin against God. I might even stretch this a bit further to say that Joseph was treating Potiphar as God desired Joseph to treat Potiphar. Because he knew that to sin against Potiphar was to sin against God. And I'm reminded about the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart and love others as you love yourself. Even in the Old Testament, we see this in Joseph. Isn't that astonishing? Joseph's heart was set apart for God and he loved God so much that to sin against God was out of the question. And we see something similar from another biblical character that actually succumbs to this temptation. You remember David and Bathsheba? Listen to his cry after he gave in to such a temptation. Psalm 51.4, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. So Joseph was exercising his great fear of the Lord. Because he feared God and respected God enough that he would not sin against someone. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. He knew that. I bet a man who has seen God would know this truth. Sinning against God was out of the question for Joseph. Joseph's purity came from a heart that had been set apart for God. The third thing I want to share with you today is that Joseph's confidence was in God, not circumstances. If anybody had a reason to complain, it would be Joseph. Joseph is the epitome of being dealt a crappy hand. But Joseph stays committed. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery. That he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. That his own family rejected him wanted to kill him. Anyone else that had been thrown into prison, as Joseph had been, would probably have been in jail thinking, how can I prove I'm innocent? How do I get out of this mess? God, I trust you, and so because I trust you, that means you're going to bail me out, right? Right? Maybe if we take another verse out of context, um, sometimes we're put in spots that we don't understand. And what I was talking about was how we react in a lot of those situations. And I almost thought this comedic sketch, right, of a guy standing behind bars being like, help, help! Or like this little um, prisoner type toy I had as a kid that would go, will you please let me out of here? And it would constantly say it as it rocked back and forth. 
But we don't see this. What we see is a man who is set apart and uses the circumstances that he currently finds himself in to grow in his relationship with God. Look at Genesis 39, 20 through 23. It's incredible because we see where Joseph's thoughts and heart lie as we read this, this passage. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was, rema- he was responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. It's that same seeing God that Joseph had in those dreams and the revelations that God put before Joseph was the same thing that he was experiencing in prison. He didn't allow the circumstances to rock him. Joseph is literally sitting in a prison cell experiencing the presence of God. How incredible. Joseph, a man who had seen God, who had committed in his heart not to sin against him, was placing his confidence in God. What might he have been thinking? And I wanted to look at 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-six through 27. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure, but to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. He was blameless. I bet he was clinging to this truth. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him in that prison cell. Because he knew that when everything was said and done, what was going to happen was going to be God's will. And that he was going to deal with him according to what had been done. God was taking care of Joseph and Joseph trusted that. His heart was set on that. Joseph's purity comes from a heart that was set apart for God. And his confidence came from God and not circumstance. The last thing I want to point out this morning is that Joseph shows mercy to his brothers. And toward the end of the story, we come to a place where Joseph's brothers have now found out that he is still alive. These were the same brothers who had conspired to kill him and sold him into slavery. And their father was now weak and on his deathbed. And they had this fear that once their father was gone, that Joseph was going to give them exactly what they deserved. And so they were devising this scheme to go to Joseph and tell Joseph that their father had one more request, and that was that nothing would happen to them and they would be taken care of. Obviously, their wickedness was continuing as they were fabricating a story for their brother. But listen to Joseph's response to his brothers found in Genesis 18 through 21. His brothers came and then threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good and accomplish what is now being done. 
the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassures them and spoke kindly to them. It could only be a heart set on God that could respond with such grace and compassion. Isn't this the part of the movie that we usually watch where we're like, now it's their turn. They're going to get exactly what they deserve. Come and execute true justice because justice would be killing the person that killed the person that we liked. Because justice would be burning down someone's house that burned down someone's house. And we start rationalizing why it's okay. But a mind with pure thoughts thinks as God thinks. And because of that, Joseph could only look at his brothers with compassion and give them mercy. Isn't that crazy that someone would rather God's will be carried out than their will? That they would step aside and remove themselves from a position of judge or authority and put God as judge and authority and purpose in their heart that they would accept what that is. Pure thinking comes from a heart that is set apart from God. I had a neighbor when I lived in New York who had an uncle that was shot to death. And his grandmother, the mother of the son that was shot, visited the person who killed her son in jail once a month for years. And she kept proclaiming over and over that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior and that Jesus wanted this situation to lead the man to Christ. The woman was not concerned with restitution. She was concerned that God would get what he wanted. I couldn't imagine that. Pure thinking comes from a heart that's set apart from God. And, and it's really funny because I think what we'll do sometimes is we'll see those stories and we'll say, well, we're in a completely different circumstance. But I think that a lot of us can relate to Joseph because he had a really rough life. There were tons of things that happened that could have caused him to react impurely or run the other way. But his heart was convinced and was set apart for God and that allowed him to live purely. So how do we live in purity with our hearts set apart for God? One, we can seek out God's face. Now what I'm not saying is that you're going to go and sit in a dark room and then God's going to poof up on you and then you guys are going to have a conversation. What I'm talking about is spending time getting to know God. Don't always talk during prayer. Rest. Listen. Allow him to speak to you. I remember there was this neat book I read once as I was younger. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God by a man named Brother Lawrence. And it was helpful because it incorporated God into all facets of life, even the boring and mundane things. How could I honor God 
like Joseph while I'm doing the duties from the day? Or how can I work as if I'm working for the Lord? Or how could I encourage pure thinking? We can encourage pure thinking by dwelling on God and the thoughts that he has revealed to you. Two, purpose in your heart not to sin against God. Remember, purity isn't instilled in us. Purity is not a random chain of good choices. Pure thinking comes from someone whose heart is set apart for God. So learn the words of God and hide them in your heart. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man, how much easier will it be not to sin against God if we know his word and we cherish it? And that even in the things that we find hard and impossible, we continue to go to God and trust him as he is who he is. Live a life that shows that God's words matter. God's revelations to Joseph mattered. The word of God that had been revealed to him had mattered. And that's why he could remain pure. It wasn't because in that moment when Potiphar's wife said, come to bed with me, he said, no. It was because he had already built up a life of listening to God and loving God and knowing God's word and cherishing God's word. Place your confidence in God. The circumstance that you are experiencing right now doesn't define you. God does. I've spent a whole lot of my life in insecurity believing that what people thought about me mattered more than anything. And I believe that's robbed me of a lot of freedom that I could have experienced when I was younger. Your confidence is in God. It's not in other people. It's not in yourself. It's in God. Four, always show mercy. I was recently on Facebook and I asked a question. I asked, why don't we cheer on the confession of sin and those who may be trying to come clean? Wouldn't this be a great place for someone to own up to what they've done and invite them back in? Pure thinking thinks the best for other people. And that can be painful for us. And even though people have wronged us, the forgiveness they need ultimately doesn't come from us. It comes from God. That's the forgiveness they need. I'm literally suggesting we encourage people to tell the truth and instead of pushing them away, we draw them closer into community with us. We allow them to experience true freedom that is only found in Christ. Can we be quick to show mercy to those that have wronged us? That's the real question. So how do we have pure thoughts in a world that celebrates impurity? We recognize that pure thoughts come from a heart that is set apart from God. If we seek the face of God, if we realize that sin is always against God, if we place our confidence in him instead of our circumstances and show mercy to those that wrong us, we will offer purity that the world is going to have a hard time wagging its finger at. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you for this morning. And we thank you, God, for the example of Joseph. God, help us to dwell on your words. Help us to love your words. Help us to love you. That the things that you have said to us and revealed to us 
would be so important, God. In our times of testing, we can choose you as Joseph did. God, that in our minds to sin against you would be out of the question. God, help us to welcome those that have sinned against you back. Give us mercy, Lord, because you have shown us mercy. Help us to think with your thoughts and not with our own, Father. We thank you in your son's name. Amen.